Support for today's episode comes from Goalie ACV Gummies. They're a great way to incorporate apple cider vinegar into your daily routine. And best of all, they're delicious. Trust me, I was so tired of the bitter ACV shot every morning and completely made the switch. So they're totally Boonie approved. And as a Boonie Breakdown listener, you can receive 10% off your purchase by using the code Boonie Breakdown. Details on how to can purchase can be found in the show notes and on the BooniBreakdown.com. Hey y'all, it's your girl Boonie, and you're listening to the Boonie Breakdown Podcast, your source for all things responsible and ratchet. Welcome to episode 186 of the Boonie Breakdown Podcast. I am excited for our guest this week. Our guest is none other than Dr. Shamika Thorpe. She is a sex researcher and her goal is to change the narrative around black sexology to one that is more sex positive instead of deficit based. And what I love about it is that she thinks we should have conversations that normalize and remove generational taboos so that black women can have healthier and happier sex lives. And guys, this episode was so dope. I think I advocate so much for black women in particular to take ownership of their sexuality and pleasure in their sexual escapades. But we do have a conversation around those who might be experiencing some type of physical pain in sexual intercourse. We definitely talk about um, generational sex shame and how we all can play a part in changing the narrative and the framework about sex with adolescents, especially our black female youth. So I am excited for this conversation. Be sure to stick around. Before we go further into the episode, I do want to note that after my conversation with Dr. Thorpe, we will be doing another Boonie confessional. So you want to stick around for that. It will be after the conversation with Dr. Thorpe. We're going to go right into my pick of the week. Um, I've been doing a lot of TV watching right now. (laughs) I'm not even going to lie. But I did decide at first I had no interest in checking out Vacation Friends on Hulu, but I decided to check it out out. And um, it was actually really good with uh, Little Rel and Yvonne Orgy and John Senna. And so I did read that they're getting a sequel. So if you just want something, you need to take your mind off something. It is just really fun, silly, great laugh out loud moments. It was really nice to just put it on. I just put my phone away from me and just sat there and watched nonsense and laughed. So (laughs) And I've also been trying to just really support things of black people on these streaming sites so we can get more of it. And so if you're looking for something, be sure to check out Vacation Friends over on Hulu. That is my pick of the week. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Come back later, please. Housekeeping. Not now. All right. This week's housekeeping uh, feedback from episode 185 with our Boonie Breakdown All-Star uh, Samia of Sexual Essentials. I am so happy that you guys enjoyed the episode. So many of you were so happy to have her back on the podcast. Um, I got so, quite a few messages this week about the episode. Uh, one in particular said, Boonie, oh my God, I didn't know how much I needed this episode. I've definitely, definitely been playing myself in the bedroom with several of my sexual partners. It is time for me to reclaim 
my sexuality and my own power and pleasure and show them niggas how this pussy works. So (laughs) thank you so much uh, for sending in that. If you have not listened, uh, please go back and check out episode 185. uh, Show me how this pussy works uh, with a Samaya of sexual essentials. I'm so glad that you guys enjoyed because sometimes I get nervous about inviting certain guests back but I do feel like there are some all-stars just even based off of the response um, the number of listens you know how you guys engage with me after the show and so all of that feedback is so critical for me to make sure that I'm giving you guys stuff that you want to listen to because sometimes I know I hop in my rabbit holes and I do what I want to do because it is my shit but (laughs) I do 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 this for you guys so please be sure to leave me all of that feedback all right also and you guys know we have a poppin' Patreon. Uh, we're firming up the details for our live event for September, but those will be dropping this week for Patreon gang. It'll go public later in the week, um, but I'm excited. I think we're, we're skewing ratchet again this week for our, I mean, this month for our Patreon live event. And so if you would like to join in on our group chat, if you would like to get extra, would you rather Wednesday questions, then you can pay $3 is our lowest membership over on patreon.com backslash the boonie breakdown. We appreciate all of the support and we have a good time. So I look forward to you guys joining Patreon gang. Also, if you're like, you know what, boonie, I, I, the budget is tight, but I still want to support you. You know what you can do? You can leave a five-star review over in uh, the podcast app. If you listen on any Apple device, it's very easy. If you're already following us there, then you have to search the Boonie Breakdown. You scroll down where it says write a review. You click that, you hit five stars, you could type some words, bam, you're done. And you've helped me out more than you even know. And it's free and it takes you 30 seconds to do it. So I appreciate you guys doing that. If you're like, I don't have an Apple device, I'm listening on my Droid, you can do the same thing over on our Facebook page and hit five star review over at facebook.com backslash the Boonie Breakdown. If you want to follow us on other places across the web, you can do that on uh, Instagram and TikTok at the Boonie Breakdown. You can do it on Pinterest at the Boonie Breakdown. You can follow us over on Twitter at Boonie Breakdown. And that is all the places we are. I appreciate it when you retweet, when you share, uh, you put it in your Insta story, you screenshot while you're your player, while you're listening to the episode, you can tag us. You can use the hashtag the Boonie Breakdown. You can ha- use the hashtag pod in P-O-D-I-N. It helps me get the word out to a larger audience when you guys use your own social capital to let your friends know, your friends, frenemies, social media lurkers know about the Boonie Breakdown. And I appreciate you guys so very much so that is it for me so let's get ready to break it down hey guys it's your girl boonie and i'm excited for this episode i just shared this with our guest dr shamika thorpe but i have had a good run of black sexologists and sex researchers on the podcast and I was looking it was this top 10 list and it's only three elusive people who I've not had on and so now we have two more after today's guest so I would like to welcome Dr. Shamika Thorpe to the podcast. Thank you thank you I'm glad to be here. Yes I um 
my audience is mostly black women. So I usually only have black women as guests. <laughs> a rare occasion there's a black man, but it's usually black women here. I want to first get started. How did you get, I always ask this question, how did you find yourself in this space and becoming a sex researcher? Yeah. Um, so I got involved in research really early on. So I would say like in my undergraduate um, career. And then I was doing like maternal and child health. So really looking at maternal attachment with black moms um, and then switched over to sex. So right. Like <laughs> attachment to sex. Um, but I've always been interested in adolescent sexuality. I, I led a teen pregnancy prevention program back in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I knew that I wanted to stay in the research world because that's what I was passionate about. But I do still have a strong connection to the community. Um, And so I see that a lot of the work that I do in the community informs my research and my research also informs what then we go out and do in the um, community. So I definitely just, you know, saw some gaps in things that I was reading and I was tired of reading a lot of research on HIV prevention, although it's important on HIV prevention and STI prevention and pregnancy prevention. I was like, well, you know, Black women is more of us than that, right? So let's explore other things about our sexuality. And so that's where my research comes into play. Gotcha. So what is it exactly is your doctorate in for the audience? Yeah, it's in community health education. Community health education. Okay. Um, I know I was explaining to you the audience here is primary Black women. So again, I always, if you're new listening to this episode, welcome. But this space is purposely created for black women. Um, but we welcome, you can listen, but don't, don't, I don't want no nasty grams. I always right. say that. Um, I, I created this platform because I do like to focus and provide so much information for black women to advocate for their pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so interesting when you have these conversations of women who are 40, 45, never masturbated, never had orgasms. And it blows, it blows my mind. But one conversation I have not had on this uh, this platform is about um, what if you're having a sexual experience, but you're experiencing pain or discomfort? And I never talk about that um, when I was going through the many topics we've discussed here Mm -hmm. and how like I want to back it up because for someone, they may not even know that they're experiencing pain or discomfort or sex should not hurt. So Mm -hmm. what are signs and symptoms of someone who maybe could be experiencing pain during sex? Yeah, so uh, people describe it different ways. Um, So I did a study with just Black women Mm -hmm. and, you know, about sexual pain and sexual pleasure um, as well as sexual anxiety. And, you know, some people describe it as a burning sensation or a stinging or a throbbing. And most of the time it's during like penetrative intercourse or whether that be vaginal or anal. Um, But it's something that is reoccurring. Right. So not like that one time where you have pain with a partner for the first time and then you never experience it again. But like that reoccurring pain that you can't get rid of or maybe you try to switch positions, but the pain is still there. Um, You know, and some people experience that only during sex sexual intercourse. Some people experience it like right before or after. Um, And so so it's really important that if you notice that this is not your normal amount of pain that you would feel like on typical insertion, then maybe there's something going on, especially if it's lingering. Um, And so, you know, either talking to your partners about it or talking to your medical provider um, is important. But we know as Black women, sometimes medical providers can be dismissive. Mm -hmm. 
one. Um, so they don't always listen to us. And so, you know, trying to figure out what that looks like to find a provider that one listens, but two also exploring pelvic floor therapy. Okay. Uh, so that's always an option as well that I feel like a lot of Black women aren't referred over to because medical providers don't know enough about it, one. Mm-hmm. And two, they like most likely don't even know it exists. Um, and there's tons of pelvic floor therapists. Um, I have a actually a resource on my Instagram and on my website where people can find a list of uh, pelvic floor therapists of color. So what does like pelvic floor therapy look like? Because I've heard this before, but I've never gone... Um... I don't even know if I know anybody, but maybe they are and we just aren't talking about it. So. <laughs> yeah. So I actually went to a pelvic floor therapist, but I went to something for something that wasn't pelvic floor related. So that was so interesting. Within <laughs> um, but it was different for different people because there's different treatment plans. So for some people, it could just be exercises. For some people, they're given um, dilators. Um, which kind of look like like sex toys um, to kind of just like strengthen their pelvic floor muscles, but also loosen them and like um, help them relax. Um, So it's just different treatment plans based on what your body needs or whatever your pain diagnosis is, because there's different types of pain disorders. Gotcha. And so like how on average, like how many or, or like what's the percentage of women who experience some type of pain or discomfort during sex? Yeah, the most recent thing I read was 20% at last sexual encounter. So the last time you had sex, 20% of women say that it was painful. And then overall in your lifetime, 65% of women have experienced painful sex, whether that painful sex was only with one partner or whether that painful sex was something that has lasted their lifetime since their first sexual debut varies, but 60%. Wow. Yeah. Um, I do think because it's not something that we talk about. I can even think about my own friend circles and we kiki like, oh, he did this. It was fun, you know, but I can't ever recall where someone was like, oh, this one time like or I was with someone. And yeah, I I can't. And I was thinking about it as I was prepping for this episode, like, hmm. but now I'm just my own natural curiosity is, you know, is this another topic that people are just avoiding because or some people think sex is supposed to hurt. Yep, that's, right, what I was about to say. that's their norm. Like it, this, it hurts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, I don't know if it's a conversation we're avoiding versus like a societal expectation, right? Like you expect it to be painful, um, you know, based on what you hear in, you know, music and songs. So like if they ain't beating it up, they ain't doing it right. So it's like, oh, okay, well, I feel a little pain. Must have been doing something right. It's like- Look, you just said something. <laughs> I wasn't even planning to go here. Let's go. It is. Okay. Because when you say that the language in which you talk about it, he was in my guts. Yeah. The pussy up. Like, why is it so aggressive? And- right. Like, hold up. <laughs> not a boxery. <laughs> it's not a boxery. Look. But it, I mean, when you just said that, I'm like, almost every song, it's mm-hmm. in a hook, it's in a chorus. Um, it was some Chris Brown song that's out right now, but he's like singing the hook. I don't even think it's his song. And I was like, well, I like got a nice little vibe. I'm like, oh, this isn't it. But then I was listening to the words the other day and I was like, this song is terrible. Like, he was just like, if you got a flat ass, I'll still beat it down. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so to your point, when you're constantly ingesting these right. messages, then yeah. 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 And if no one's ever told you that it shouldn't be painful or you know if you don't feel like you have a safe space to talk to your partners because I think sometimes that's a thing like a lot of times people feel 
so much anxiety about talking to their partner about like, hey, I'm experiencing pain or they feel bad, right? Like, because they don't want to stop them from having pleasure or, you know, having an orgasm because they had to stop having sex. Um, And so these are things that women constantly talk about, like, you know, I don't want to prevent them from Mm -hmm. receiving pleasure. So I just sit there and, you know, I tolerate it or, you know, um, they don't want to use lube because it feels unnatural to use lube. Um, And so, you know, providers aren't even prescribing or telling them that you don't have to prescribe it, but telling them to use lube. And so if it's one of those things where lube isn't talked about as something that is normal and natural and as something that can enhance pleasure, then it becomes something that feels like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And I think too, what you, what I heard you just say in in that, um, in the conversations around sex, women don't focus on themselves. It's Mm -hmm. they're thinking, and we do this in other areas of life too, where we're thinking about everyone else before ourselves. And so we're suffering and not enjoying something we should be enjoying because we're so nervous or worried about our partner, their, their ego, their feelings, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, you know, it starts at a young age, right? I, I even think back to, I feel like I was blessed in the sense that my mom, um, was a little bit more realistic in her approach to the birds and the bees talk. Um, but she never, I don't think anyone flat out said while I was growing up, like sex feels good. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it feels good. It was the conversation to protect yourself. Don't get pregnant. Don't be out here in these streets. It was that conversation, but it was never like, oh, it, it's going to feel good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I was, um, doing research for this episode and it was saying how so many black female adolescents, uh, don't believe or don't think sex should be pleasurable yeah and that broke my heart yeah Yeah. what kind of conversations can we have with younger women or younger black women about reshaping what their expectations of sex are about I think first destroying the myth that like your first time that you have sex should be painful because I think that sets you up right like the first time you have sex that's a question I always get from like middle schoolers and Tina and high school. Does schoolers. it hurt? Yeah, like, does it hurt? It's like a question box filled with does it hurt question, <laughs> which hurts me, you know. But, you know, so I think destroying that myth that it has to hurt or it should hurt the first time. Like, I think it's a should, right? Like, they they think that it should hurt or, or something wasn't done right. Or how do I know that, like, I've lost my virginity? You know, that's what they they want to know, um, you know, which is a whole like social construct within itself. But, you know, um, I think having that conversation about that, it shouldn't be painful and things that they can do to make it less painful, I think is important. Um, I think also exploring why people want to have sex. Like, I don't mm. think we ask, ask teenagers enough, like, why do you want to have sex? Other than like maybe social pressure or things like that. Like, why do you want to? And for some teenagers, it is because it feels good. Like they know they are like, no, nah, that feels good. That's why I'm engaging in it. But because we don't have those conversations about like their motivations to engage in sexual mm. intercourse, we don't give them the space to be like, oh, well, I don't know. Or, oh, well, you know, I heard such and such say that it felt good. Okay, let's talk about that more, right? So I think just having the space to openly talk about, one, why they want to engage in it, and two, kind of destroying that myth around or myth or just like 
a hard fact they believe that sex yeah. should be painful, especially the first time that they have it. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> it made me reminisce back. And that was definitely the conversation with my friend circle. I think in my close friend circle, I might've been like the last one to lose my virginity. And so I was already like, <gasps> and I also think about the social pressure that you said, right? Like <laughs> the reason I lost, and I've said this before in another episode, but like the reason that I lost my virginity, um, it was totally for, I mean, talk about setting up bad habits, like in retrospect, but it was only because I didn't want my boyfriend at the time to turn 18 and be a virgin still. Mm. And so it was like two weeks before his birthday or something. And I'm like, all right, we can't have sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, that is, that was literally the, like the push over off the cliff. Um, and I just think about that whole space, just saying that out loud now, like I would never want a young girl that I was mentoring to say that to me for, for that to be their reason, even though I would go into this whole thing about virginity being a social construct and all those mm-hmm. things there, but yeah. I wouldn't want their sole reason to be for the person that they're with. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, right now we see that people are having sex later. So like teens are having sex later than they were like decades ago. So, you know, some people are referring to it as like a sex recession where people aren't having <laughs> sex as as much or as early um so you know i think hopefully because people are having it later then they will be able to have it for pleasure um and so i think but i think we have to set up the expectations that it should be pleasurable i grew up reading zane books so i thought it should Come be pleasurable. okay Come but at the now. same time <laughs> at the same time like i have friends telling me like oh it should be painful like this should feel like this i'm like i don't know this ain't what it's saying the same book <laughs> Like the librarian knew me. Okay. So, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Like, so I don't know. I think it's just two messages that I received. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of times people get those mixed messages. And I think that's good to counteract kind of some of those messages about pain. Pain. Yeah. I definitely, um, I do remember like it, it hurt. Um, but again, it was that first time. Mm-hmm. I think the second time was less. And then by the, the third or fourth time, I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get why people do this now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do. I I think in, um, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that people are having sex later. And I do mentor young girls um, here in Baltimore. And some of the conversations that I hear them having, um, I feel like they're so far advanced than anywhere I was in my teen years in high school. And I also just feel like the culture is shifting a bit, right? You know, things are more open. We're talking about um, words. I mean, they're exploring options for their sexuality and gender identity that I'm just learning about in my thirties. And they're like, oh, I'm non-binary, but I like people. And I'm just like, I'm pansexual. And I'm like, I just literally learned what that meant like four years ago. (laughs) And so I feel like it's like, the scale is shifted. And so like, how can people our age or even older where we about to go there, um, can like shape a conversation that's healthy, um, mm-hmm. and, and still, still give good sound advice, but it's fitting to where the younger generation is today. I think listen to them. Step one, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of 
uh, intergenerational learning that has to occur. Mm. I don't think a lot of times older people don't listen to younger people. Say it again. They see themselves as being (laughs) like the wiser people, but they could teach you a lot, you know, just like you were just talking about the teens that you mentor. You know, they could, they teach, they can teach older generations a lot. And so I think one thing that's really important is being open and honest about your own experiences. I think too often people feel like they have to like, be in this authority role, like, well, no, I didn't do any of this, or no, like, I wouldn't do that. And it's like, no, talk about your sexual experiences and talk about, you know, what it was like for you and things that you wish you had done differently, or, you know, listen to them when they're expressing, whether it be a sexual identity, a gender identity, whatever, like, listen to that and learn and read. But I think that's a part of, I think another issue is the fact that we don't have a lot of sexual health programming for Mm. older people so that's a whole thing within itself right like it's like okay you got out of high school or you went to college you got out of college good luck (laughs) (laughs) like what happens after that like so I think that's a another issue within itself is that you know there has to be programs because a lot of times people didn't learn like my mom she didn't have sex ed growing up like that wasn't a, yeah. a thing for her. Like schools were just being integrated when she was in fifth grade. <laughs> like the last thing they were worried about was sex ed. Like, like that's the plight of being black. You can never yeah. really focus on pleasure. Like we would just right. get in mixed like, schools. Right. Like now I got white people in my schools. I'm not worried about sex ed right now. So it's like, you know, she didn't receive that. And so I, you know, there needs to be a program for the, her generation. So I think- <laughs> It's so funny, especially with the older generation. And I'm going to take even older, like my grandparents. Um, And so my grandmother has been deceased uh, for about 10 years. And my grandfather lived in a senior building. And he was probably like one of 10 um, single elderly men in this building, right? So the block was hot for him. Yeah, yeah, And uh, (laughs) I go and in their like, community room in the building they had the biggest bowl of condoms i had ever seen and so i was just like oh my god but i loved it but at the same time i was like no (laughs) and the lady at the building was like it's because she's like you got to think you know these elderly people they've either been with someone for a gazillion years and she was like now you have you know some older men in here who don't have companions and she's like, it's, you know, statistically they, they get um, escorts or prostitutes and he's, they, they don't know what a condom is. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so much, but it makes total sense. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, look, and then my uncle, I am not having a conversation with pop pop about condoms. Like I will, y'all, y'all need to step up and do that. I will not be the one. To do yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I remember so I, when I was teaching um, undergraduate students, I had them make like sexual health programs for people that were 70 and up. Like, what would that look like if you had a program at a retirement home? Because, you know, right now, especially in Florida, like they have high rates of STIs with yes. retirement homes because people are just, you know, having sex with each other. They've never used condoms before because what's that? And so they're just, you know, giving STIs to each other or a lot of times, you know, um older people are dating younger people thanks thanks to dating apps, you know? Um, And so we see that STIs are getting spread that way too. Yeah. I mean, it just never even crossed my mind. Like, and then that's what she said. She was like, you know, elderly over 70, 75, one of the highest, you know, populations of new infections. And I'm like, 
but it makes sense. (laughs) They have no idea. It's like a whole new world for them. So yes. Um, And I also think, so you have these intergenerational, I think was the term you said earlier. And so if you have, you know, our parents did the best that they could do, right? And their parents did the best that they could do. But even though I feel like Black people, the attitudes towards um, sexual pleasure and sexual behaviors are evolving, maybe a little slow, but they are evolving. You know, we got to do generalizations now. Them old Black people, they're not moving. Um, (laughs) And so they have these beliefs, you know, boys will be boys, girls, you can't, but then girls, you know, you're too fast if you wear a short skirt or you have red fingernails or you do these things. And it's like, here's the more pressure put on the girl, but guys get to run out here and be anything, everything, do everything. And it's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. So with these conversations, like if someone's listening to this and they're like, yep, girls, girls can't be too fast. Like, what would you say to that person to help them change and make that shift in their mindset? I think for me, the first question I always ask is like, one, who did that to you? Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're learning that because someone has done that to you. Like I remember my grandma was like, you know, if you wear, you can't wear red nail polish or wear red nail polish. (laughs) Uh, You red lipstick. And like, Lord forbid, if you do it on a, on a Sunday, right. Like then you're like a super whore. And so, (laughs) so, you know, and I was like, well, where did that come from? And she was like, my mom always said that. Like it's always someone else that has said it. And so that definitely made you feel like some type of way when you heard someone else say it. Um, And so thinking about that and what does that mean and what would it look like, even how their life would be different if they didn't have those messages, one, and also like how they would feel more sexually liberated, right? Yeah. I don't don't feel like they feel that way. Now, some do. Don't get me wrong now. Okay. But some, I'm like, no, I don't think you feel that way. Like, I don't think you got, you were able to come into your full sexual self because there were so many barriers and and stereotypes and um rules that you felt like you had to follow as a black woman it's so many rules and i I think on your instagram page you had like generational sex shame Mm -hmm. um and i do feel like that is something to that just it's like a a avalanche like it just keeps building and building with the next generation and i do think it takes the like my mom i always point to her in this because this is one this is one space I'll give my mom all of the rounds of applause because she did. My grandmother did say some pretty hurtful things to her because you might, she thought she was being promiscuous and uh, my mom took the approach. Like I am not, I will never say these things to you. I'm not going to limit you. Now my mom didn't say, I think she equipped me enough to make the decision for myself. It wasn't like, if you do this before this date, you know, you're a whore, you're all these things. Um, But she did not say it like, I don't recall her being like, it feels good, but I do recall her being like, you know, if you, when you decide, you know, please let me know all all that stuff. Right. Um, And I, I, it's just crazy what generational shame will do, especially with sex. And I do watch how even, even though maybe I didn't hear my grandmother say those things to my mother, I know, I know what my grandmother thought. Right. And so for the longest time, some of those things were seeped in my brain that shaped how I moved sexually. And I just look back like, damn, I wasted good years. But <laughs> <laughs> like, damn you, granny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, what are, what, 
<laughs> like I hear you, you said earlier about listening. Um, what are other things, what would you tell somebody who is even still struggling with things that were put on them from previous generations that still have a hold on them that they can't fully enjoy sex or they they still have hangups about certain sexual acts, et cetera? Yeah, I think one thing that's super helpful is like journaling about it. So I know that I believe Afrosexology has some like worksheets mm. related to like overcoming sexual shame, but also just like sexual liberation in general. So those things are helpful. I think also making a list of things that you wish you would have done if you mm. didn't feel so much shame, right? Oh, like, I'm going to do that myself. Yeah, like what are some things you you wish, looking back, like I wish I would have done that or I wish I would have yeah. done that. And then how can you do that now, right? Like how do we get to the place where you can do that now? Um, I think that's important. One book I always recommend is Pussy Prayers. I really love that book. <gasps> okay, uh, I'm I'm getting it because you're the third person in like two weeks who said this. Just get the book. Yeah. Okay, Pussy I'm Prayers. getting it. Their second book is called Please. Um, and Pleasure Activism is a good book too that kind of touches touches on some of those those shame pieces, but also, you know, just different ways we can advocate for our own pleasure. Um, and things that might be barriers to that. What does pleasure look like even in a non-sexual way? I think it's mm. important. I think if we can tap into non-sexual pleasure without feeling shame, because oftentimes it, it feels shameful to do something good for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and so, especially as Black women, yes, it's like we got to yes. carry the whole load. So. Right. Right. Oh, how dare I give myself a massage, you know, get myself a massage, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, so it's, start looking at that, right? Like those non-sexual things and where you receive pleasure from non-sexual things and then move into that sexual realm. But I always think journaling is is super helpful with that. Yeah. Journaling is like one of my favorite things. And it's something I used to beat myself up when I didn't do it consistently. Like I do have moments where I will journal every day. Yeah. Every day. And sometimes it's not long. It's just, I'm grateful for blah, blah, blah. And that's yep. all I got today. And that's all I put. And then I'll go through these spot, and I hate it because when I go back and read my journal, I'll be like, oh, what happened in these yeah. mm-hmm. four months where I wasn't journaling? <laughs> yeah. I hate it. But I, I'm going to actually do that one because I was saying that the other day, um, like I'm sharing all my business with y'all today. And I, it's okay because we, we cool, we cool. <laughs> um, but I even look back with um when I said I wasted all those years like in my mind right the person that I I was trying to stay a good girl right I hate that yeah like that's one thing that still irks me about you know childhood influence um so I wanted to stay a good girl so for a minute I was the everything but girl right Mm -hmm. I wasn't gonna go there because I was still trying to save myself for this particular person because we were going to get married. And so we would, you're the only person I've had sex with. Um, but I was doing everything, but right. (laughs) And so, um, it's like all those, all that wasted time, all that wasted time. (laughs) Me and my friends were just talking about that yesterday. Like if we could go back, you know, to undergrad days, what would we do? Cause we're seeing all the, all the kids going back now. I call them kids. They ain't really kids, but like going back now, we're like, Oh, what would we do different? I don't know how old you are, but if I could go back 20 years ago. Okay. I'm a little older than you. (laughs) I'm 36 going Uh on 37. So if I could go back 20 years, (laughs) Listen, go back to undergrad. Okay. Listen, listen, Linda. 
Yeah, yeah. We said we didn't respect our, our good knees back then. So they go Watch, I do something now. I'm like, crack, crack, crack. Right. I'm like, no, I, I'm trying to be sexy. <laughs> but no, I totally like this. It is so interesting too when you, um, even though it's like when we, you always hear the thing, black people are not monolithic, mm-hmm. but then we have such deeply shared experiences, right? that somebody can say this. So someone was saying a, a saying that their grandma used to say yeah. about fast girls. I'm like, Oh my God, my aunt said that. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. and so it's like, it started somewhere. Right. And, and it's just a shame that the hold, just these sayings that have been passed on from people. Now we don't even know who made them mm-hmm. um, still have a hold on black women and the way we move, you know, sexually. It's, it's, it's very yeah. daunting when you think about it. Someone, so uh, Dr. Natasha Crook, she did a research study on like how older Black women feel like they're protecting younger Black women's sexuality. And one thing that came out of that was like calling them fast and how that's being protective or um, shaming them for wearing like certain types of clothing that are too revealing because they should cover their bodies, you know, like they should cover their bodies because they're trying to protect them right so i do think so i think it does more harm than good but i know that it is very much in in a way of like oh i'm trying to be protective because you know they they just feel like i one they don't trust the men in the world and two it's another situation where it's like someone did this for me so i'm going to do this for you and i remember when i was reading that um that manuscript she's one of the participants said that you know, she kept getting called a fast girl so much that she wanted to know how could she become one? Like, since uh, I'm being called that, well, let me just go, ahead. go live the life, right? Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, like I get that, <laughs> you know? And so I think how I think of how it can have two different outcomes, but overall, I think it does do um, more harm than good. Yeah. And, and you, you hit on something when you said um, the distrust of men and I always think of these, this one, I used to talk about this particular scenario, you know, like black girls growing up in the house, you're in your house and you're wearing maybe a tank top and some little shorts. Yeah. And you're told go cover up as men in the house. Yep. That one to the, like as an adult burns me up because it's like, so what you're telling me is men cannot be trusted around younger girls. And uh, I'm going to say girls and younger women. Mm-hmm. to just wear a tank top and shorts in their own home. And so then it's like, well, who is in the home? Generally it's family. Right. <laughs> and so that, that even that message that black women can't even be comfortable in their own home around family members, that bothers me so mm-hmm. much. Like, and you hear that so often go cover yeah. up as men in the house. Yeah. I definitely heard that growing up. Yeah. I'm pretty sure every black woman listening to this is like, sitting here shaking their head like yep yep Yep. and so just that message alone is like well you never like so why isn't the behavior being corrected upon the man like if they cannot if you're saying they can't control themselves Mm -hmm. how come like because that's what you're implying but Mm -hmm. if they see some scantily clad woman no matter the age (laughs) they're going to respond right yeah it's terrible i hate it now i'm sitting here thinking of all of the things like uh and i yeah um (laughs) I was talking to one of my mentees and 
just to see how comfortable she felt disclosing some of the things that was happening in her college days. I'm like, "Mm, I'm so jealous. Um, But just how comfortable she was just this, this, this. And I'm like, I could never when I was 19 or 20 years old, think of any person in their 30s or 40s that I would call up and speak to about my rendezvous like this. Yeah. But it made me feel good. Right. <laughs> you feel happy. Feel good, right? Like you're a safe space to have those those conversations. Yeah. yeah. So, so that definitely make you feel good. It I, did. Remember, I remember like when I went out to college, it was a thing of like finding a being in a relationship, right? Like usually people go out to college and they get in relationships. Um not to like marry, but that's the mm. hope, you know? Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, nah, let's go ahead and just nip that in the bud. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I'm not doing, I don't think I got a relationship until like my junior, senior year of college. Cause I was like, I really just want to explore like what it means to be Shamika, but also just what it means to be like sexual in the world. And so yeah. I didn't, I don't, I remember like, I was like the hardcore past. No, like until, <laughs> until June, or, I'm not until my junior year. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, if that is my, that is my one wish. I do think if I ever got a genie in a bottle, <laughs> I would ask to go back and relive my senior year in high school through my sophomore year in college. Mm-hmm. Like just one more, like, let's do that one little patch yeah. over. Uh, <laughs> it's not funny. Like we, it's so, I was literally, we were literally, me and my friends are literally having the same conversation. Yeah. And I'm just like, what a waste that was, but here we are. <laughs> All right, look, Dr. Thorpe, we are at the part where we do the breakdown. Okay. I am going to say one word and you can say the first thing that comes to mind. Could be another a phrase, another word, a sound, whatever. Okay. All right. First one, black women. Powerful. Pleasure. Oh, erotic. Ooh. Advocacy. Uh, oh God, talking. Love. Passion. Community. Uh, cohesive. Sex. Good sex. <laughs> and last one, Kevin Samuels. Oh God, <laughs> that's, that's, it. that's it. There's no other word. Perfect. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Yep. <laughs> Literally perfect. <laughs> so Dr. Thorpe, yes, I'm calling you Dr. Thorpe oh, because you got your credentials. So you will be you. called thank that here. Um, if you could tell everyone where they can find you on the internet, on social media, plug, 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 anything you want to plug, it's your time. Yeah. So you can find me on um, Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Shamika. Shamika is S-H-E-M-E-K-A. Also, my website is drshamika.com. If you go to my website and you subscribe, you get a free download on six ways to make sex more pleasurable. Uh, Also, on my website, there is a list of the pelvic floor therapists that I mentioned earlier, um, as well as books. So I am a bibliophile. I love to read. So I have a list of Black feminism, Black sexuality, and pleasure books um, on my website. And if you feel like gifting me a book, my Amazon book wish list is on my Instagram in the uh, link. 
Awesome. I will be sure to link to uh, Dr. Thorpe's website and social media in the show notes and on the booniebreakdown.com. Go ahead and send her a book. Please do. <laughs> she's it's our language. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. Um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Ooh, I had a great I time. like talking to smart people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much again. Thank you. So before we wrap up this week's episode, we're here for another confession. All right. This one is titled, This is My Confession. I have not been a monogamous woman since age 18. And when I was 17 years old, my boyfriend went away to college and found, and I found myself in two relationships after meeting an older person while he was away. That lasted for two years, two whole boyfriends for two years. What I learned about myself is that I could love two people, desire two people, and never skip a beat with both. Fast forward 20 years, and I've never been in a monogamous relationship since. I've tried to explain to every man that I've been in a relationship with how I feel, but I often get ignored, so I've developed a norm for my life. I am now married, and I would like to keep a side and a possible, like puzzle pieces, sis. I piece together what I'm looking for in a relationship. My thing with monogamy is on any given day, no matter your highs, your lows, your desires, how can there be one person to ride that wave? I give my spouse enough space to explore the same. I just wish we could have an open and honest conversation about our reality, but a man's ego is nothing to be played with. In my household, I never skip a beat. I have big love. This is my confession. Ooh, you know what? You know, I really like this because even though I still practice monogamy, the more I read, the more I listen to podcasts, the more I follow people who practice any type of poly lifestyle, I always admire them and I commend them because I do think monogamy is the society norm at least in western society right and so I commend anyone who is able uh to to build and craft and live the life that they want that makes them happy and so sis I tip my hat to you uh for finding the balance and finding at a young age what you like and what makes you happy, and having all your pieces to your puzzle. So peace be with you, my sister, and thank you for your confession. All right, that is it for this week's episode, guys. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Shamika Thorpe, for stopping by and imparting all of her knowledge. Be sure to follow her across social media. Do not forget to support our sponsors if you're looking for some new uh, vitamins or to replace your nasty apple cider vinegar shot, be sure to use the code Booney Breakdown. The link is in the show notes to get your own goalie gummies. Um, and that is it. If you enjoyed this episode, 
I encourage you to listen and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or any apps you listen to your favorites on. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews too. Please, please, please. You might just hear your review on a future episode. Follow us on all social media. Share the episode with those you love, those you don't love, those you fucking hate. I don't make these pretty images for nothing, okay? Share these reels. I'm making reels. Share them. Have a dope-ass week. Stay healthy, safe, and sane. Thank you for listening. And remember, the ratchet in me always on. Honors the ratcheting you. Oh, my stay. Until next time. <laughs>